Amen. I'll invite you to uh, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 7, please. I want to um, talk to you about something that the, uh, the Lord um, impressed upon me. I, I believe it was him. You, I'll let you judge for yourself. But uh, this week, as I was doing some studying and meditating uh, on a different subject, getting ready for my, um, well, I started to say getting ready for my Sunday morning service. But to be honest with you, I had no idea what I was going to do on Sunday morning. I'm just... Uh, uh, particularly where this uh, series on the name of Jesus is concerned, I've just been preparing me. And um, uh, there were some things that uh, that the Lord uh, seemed to be quickening to my heart on the subject of healing. Um, and, and let me kind of tell you, while, while you're turning to Mark chapter 7, let me kind of tell you how I got to where I'm, I'm going. And, uh, and that is, the Bible talks about unlimited power and unlimited potential in the name of Jesus. Jesus said, whatsoever you demand in my name, that's what I'll do. Well, whatsoever is pretty big, you know. He goes further and said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Well, there's a, um, well, as Brother Hagin used to say, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. The key to effective driving is to stay between the ditches. What I mean by that in this uh, respect is that we could look at the name of Jesus and the unlimited power in the name of Jesus and just assume, as so much of the church world does, just assume that because Jesus had the power of God without measure, it says that he had the Holy Ghost, which is the power of God without measure while he was here on the earth, that Jesus just went about indiscriminately picking who he was going to minister to, picking who he was going to heal, and, and, and doing signs and wonders and miracles. Uh, it, the, the, uh, the idea seems to be among so much of the, the denominational church that Jesus never left one person sick. And the fact is, there were a lot of people that Jesus left sick. And, uh, and furthermore, we know from the study that we've been doing uh, since we started the church on the individual healings of Jesus, there are 19 individual cases of healing recorded in the four Gospels. And it seems like there's more than that because mostly Matthew, Mark, and Luke are telling us about the same ones. There's, uh, there's not a, a complete overlap in every situation, but many of the Gospels will tell us about the same ones that other Gospel writers tell us about. And, uh, and so it seems to us like there's more than that. But if you separate them out and look at them individually and side by side, there's 19 individual cases of healing in uh, Jesus' ministry. Now, of those 19 individual cases of healing, 13 of those individual cases are identified. Uh, the healing takes place identified as the result of faith on the part of the individual. Now, if Jesus had the Spirit of God without measure, which he did, but if that meant that he had healing power that he could just indiscriminately make it work, then why were there places like Mark chapter 6 and verse 5 in his own hometown of Nazareth that he couldn't get anybody healed? He says, Mark 6, 5 says, and he could there, talking about in Nazareth, and he could there do no mighty work. Now, it doesn't say that he wouldn't. It says that he couldn't. Well, how, can, how is it possible that Jesus, who had the Spirit of God without measure, who is God himself, and, and all things are possible with God, how is it that Jesus was, in a, was unable or prevented from doing anything here on the earth? Well, the answer to that is very clear in the Bible, and that is because he wasn't operating here on the earth as the Son of God. He laid aside his heavenly power and glory in order to come to the earth to be like a man. Well, to be like a man means he's operating with the same anointing that a man would be given under the old covenant. And that's why he had to be baptized by John in the Jordan River and the Holy Ghost descended on him. See, if Jesus was here on the earth as the Son of God, now don't get me wrong, he was the Son of God. But if he was operating on the earth and healing the sick because he was the Son of God, then why would he need to be anointed? Why would it tell us about him being baptized by John in the Jordan River, tell us about the Holy Ghost coming on him, descending on him in bodily shape as a dove, 
him going into the wilderness. And then according to Luke chapter 4, it says, and he returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. Well, if he's operating here on the earth as the Son of God, why would he have needed to be anointed to return in the power of the Spirit to Galilee or anywhere else for that matter? Wouldn't he have had the power of the Spirit all along? And if so, what's the anointing for? Why is the Holy Ghost coming upon him? But the fact is, Jesus laid aside his heavenly power and glory to come to the earth to be as a man. That's why in 65 times where it speaks of Jesus, 62 of them talk about him being the son of man, not the son of God. The other three times where it talks about, I'm sorry, 60 of the 65 talk about him being the son of man, not the son of God. The other five speak of him being as the son of God uh, rather than the son of man. And three of those are in the same event, same occurrence. In other words, Jesus didn't go around saying, I'm the son of God, I'm the son of God, I'm the son of God. Jesus went around saying, I'm sent of the father. And that's what the Jews wanted to kill him for. So if 13 of those 19 cases of healing that take place in Jesus' ministry were um, credited, the healings were credited to the faith of the individual. And on top of that, there's two other cases making a total of 15 of the 19 where faith is not specified, but you can see it in action. If Jesus, who had the Spirit without measure and could do healing miracles um, without limitation when faith was present, if he needed the faith of the individual to make it work, what are we going to need? Aren't we going to have to have the same faith in operation? So there's, there's a ditch on one side, and that's the denominational church ditch, and that is where people think, okay, well, Jesus was the Son of God, and since nobody else can be the Son of God like he was, he went around healing the sick, but nobody else is going to be able to do that. So the other side of that, the other side of the road, the ditch on the other side of the road is to forget that there is power and special anointings to heal and to minister to the sick and just think it's all left up to the individual. Now, as a teacher, I have to teach. I'm, I'm, uh, uh, well, it's just the way I'm made. I teach on how people can receive because I want them to be able to receive if there is a no, no anointing present. The problem with that is when that's what you teach, the majority of what you teach is how to receive from God on your own faith, then you forget, or people have a tendency at least, to forget that there are special anointings and there, there are works of the Holy Ghost to add to your faith to bring about the results. So where's the balance? Where was the balance in Jesus' ministry? He had the Spirit without measure. He knew that he could do anything. Because the power of God, or let me say it this way, not that he could do anything. Jesus knew that the power of God was available for him to be able to do anything. Yet he still needed faith to activate it. Not his faith, he needed faith on the part of the individual. If it's just between him and God, he does it. That's why he walked on the water. It didn't take anybody else's faith for Jesus to walk on the water. There was no hindrance whatsoever. The miracle of the loaves and the fishes was Jesus working together with God without anybody else involved. But when it came to other people receiving from his power to heal, that's where it took faith on the part of the individual to receive. Now, did you find Mark 7 yet? Here's what I want you to see. I want to talk to you about the balance between the unlimited power and the unlimited potential in the name of Jesus and the faith necessary to receive. Now, Mark chapter 7 tells us a story about the woman with the, um, uh, the daughter, the Syrophoenician woman who had a daughter, who was possessed of the devil. Verse 17, uh, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 7, verse 24. And from thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into a house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. Now, Tyre and Sidon was a, an area that was outside the boundaries of Israel. This is Roman territory. 
you'll find that Jesus did very little in, the, in, in what's called Decapolis, which means the ten cities, because they were Roman cities, not Jewish cities. You'll find out that in Tyre and Sidon, Roman territory, he did very little. He did a few miracles. There were a few things that he did. But by and large, whenever he would go through that area, it wasn't to stay for any purpose or to, for a ministry purpose. It was to get away from the crowds because Jews wouldn't go there. It's where he pulled away. And so he's in Tyre and Sidon, the areas of Tyre and Sidon, trying to get away. He's trying not to be known, but, but that was impossible. He was so well known. People had heard so much about him that he couldn't be hid. For a certain woman, verse 25, whose young daughter had an unclean spirit, heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, that means Gentile, a Syrophoenician by nation. And she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, let the children first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Now we can look at Luke's account of this and it gives us a little bit more detail. She came the first time, she worshipped him and said, Lord, help me, and some different things like that. This gives us some information that I want you to see specifically how the Holy Ghost impressed Mark to say this. So it's the same story, in case you're thinking about the other account. It's the same story, it's just condensed a little bit, a little bit less detail. But Jesus said to her again, verse 27, let the children first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Please notice from verse 27 that deliverance, healing and deliverance belongs to the children of God. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying it doesn't belong to you because you're not of the people of Israel. You're not a descendant of Abraham. The, the, the probability is that she was of a nation that had uh, inbred with the Jews. She's probably got some Jewish lineage in her background, in her history, but we don't know to what degree. Now, she would be considered even worse than a Gentile because she would represent the breaking of the law of Moses. And she answered and said unto him, verse 28, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs eat from the, uh, I'm sorry, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. Now notice in verse 29, And he said to her, For this saying, go your way. The devil has gone out of your daughter. Now if, again, if we looked at Luke's account, Luke would say, Woman, great is your faith. Be it unto you according to you as you will. Here, Mark gives us the information by the Holy Ghost that Jesus said, for the same, because you've said this, because of the position you've taken, go your way, the devil has gone out of your daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found that the devil had gone out and her daughter laid upon the bed. And then it tells us about Jesus leaving that place and going somewhere else. Now, here's what I want you to see. It occurred to me the other day, and I don't know why I've never thought of this. I've certainly seen it because I've been over these individual cases of healings hundreds of times taught on every one of them dozens of times at different sometimes uh, we took one uh, one series and went through all 19 one right after the other and and we'll always deal with one or two or something like that on different occasions when we're teaching a different message or making a different emphasis or whatever so i've been through these things and taught these stories dozens of times each one at least maybe more than that but it occurred to me that I've never really stopped and taken a look at the questions Jesus asked people regarding healing. Now I can think of some right off the bat. When I gave it some thought, I thought, well, he asked this one that, and he asked this one that, just knowing the stories. But I've never taken the time to find out how many places or how many uh, of these individual cases of healing in Jesus' ministry that he stopped and asked the people questions. 
Because here in this case, it tells us that it was something the woman said that triggered the power of God. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean Jesus didn't want her to have it, but she stumbled up on the magic key? No. It means very simply this. It means that Jesus was bound. Please listen to the way I'm saying this. Jesus was bound to fulfill the prophecies about being sent to the Jews first. And then after the Jews rejected, then sent to the Gentiles. And if you look at Jesus' ministry, you'll find out that there's a very definite break. He's sent and does the the works, the healing works and the miracle works. He does them in Israel until Israel rejects him. And then he goes outside the boundaries and borders of Israel. He hadn't gone there yet. He comes to a certain point where Israel rejects him. And so he says, okay, I'll go to the Gentiles. That's a type or an illustration of Jesus being given salvation, being given first to the Jews, but then being sent the gospel, then being sent in Acts chapter 10 to the Gentiles. But Jesus hadn't fulfilled this yet. So Jesus is bound. He's held to the word of God, the prophecies given by the Old Testament prophets. He's held to do exactly what the prophets said that he would do, and he hasn't completed that yet. He hasn't come to the time where he can go from Israel to minister to the Gentiles. So there's nothing he can do except for her position. What she did crossed those boundaries because the love of God is the same whether somebody's a Jew or a Gentile. The compassion of God to deliver is the same whether somebody's a Jew or a Gentile. Always has been. God hasn't favored the Jews because he liked them and didn't like anybody else. He favored the Jews because of the covenant that he made with Abraham. He said, I'll bless you among, above all the people of the earth. That means just because of the covenant agreement he made with Abraham that everybody else was left out. Not because God didn't like anybody else. He loves mankind. But Jesus was held by the boundaries of the prophecies of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. Until she said this. Truth, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat the crumbs that fall from the children. Or something to that effect. Jesus says in Matthew's account of this story, Matthew 15, I believe it is. He said, woman, great is your faith. Be it unto unto you even as you will. What identified the faith that crossed Jesus' boundary lines? Something she said. Now, Jesus, again, uh, Matthew's account, I believe, and Luke's account as well, gives us a little bit more detail. That there were three times, three specific times that Jesus rejected her. First, he didn't say anything, didn't answer a word. Secondly, he said that uh, the dogs, uh, the, it's not right to cast the children's bread to dogs. The third time, before she answers, I guess it's the second time, when Jesus says something to her, uh, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's what it was. Second time, he said, I'm not sent to anybody but Israel. He's not talking about never going to be sent to anybody outside of Israel. He's saying that's the position, the place I'm at in my ministry right now. And she falls down at his feet and worships him and says, Lord, help me. Then he answers that by saying, it's not right to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. And then she responds, truth, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus says, for this saying, for this saying, because you did this. I I, I can't emphasize that enough. It's what she did that caused the power of God to be made available to her. 
Now, there's no shortage of power. Jesus didn't say, well, you're a Gentile, so I don't have authority over this devil that's got your daughter captive. He didn't say there was anything wrong on God's end or on his end. Do you understand the point I'm trying to make? For this saying, go your way. The devil's gone out of your daughter. I found that there are eight different times in the 19 cases of healing in Jesus' ministry. There are eight times that, uh, that Jesus asked somebody a question. Some of the times he asked the person coming to be healed a question. And it has to do with them receiving their healing. Other times it has to do with what uh, Jesus asked the crowds or others that were present at the time that he ministered healing to the people. And so I want to go through these. I can't go through them all tonight. But let me go through. Let's see if we can cover half of them. This will be part one. And then when we come together two weeks from tonight, uh, we'll, we'll cover part two. So turn with me to, um, let's start in Luke chapter 5. I want to cover these chronologically in Jesus' ministry. So I'll be skipping back and forth between uh, uh, different gospels and so forth. And I, I apologize for the, the um, if it seems like I'm disjointed. But I'm, I'm trying to cover them chronologically from Jesus start to finish in his ministry rather than um, from ease of organization. Luke chapter 5. Let's start reading in uh, verse 17. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Now please notice the power of the Lord was present to heal them. So them indicates there's not just one sick person here. Now you could say, well, he's trying to heal their doctrine. Okay, I really have a hard time with that because when the Bible talks about healing, it never refers to, to spiritual healing or, or changing somebody's thinking or whatever. It always speaks specifically of what it's talking about. So it tells me that whoever else was there, there were other sick people in the, in the place. Now notice the power of the Lord is present to heal them, meaning there's no shortage of power. There's no shortage of Jesus' ability to minister to them, but there's nobody there that's willing to take a step to activate the power. Just like in Mark chapter 7, he had authority over the devil that had this lady's, uh, this uh, uh, Syrophoenician woman's daughter bound. But she had to do something that activated that power to set their daughter free. So the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, a man, men brought in a bed, a man which was taken with palsy. And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before them. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in. Now think about that. Nobody's willing to give up space for this guy to be carried in on the cot by these four friends. Think about what that means. That means the house is jam-packed. And and when anybody tries to squeeze in, you know how it works sometimes with the crowd. Somebody tries to squeeze up to the front of the crowd. Everybody locks shoulders and nobody will budge. And they're blocking a crippled guy. This is a real salty crowd. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went up on the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins be forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh of blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceiving their thoughts, perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, what reason ye in your hearts? Now that's a, that's a poor translation. He knows what they think. He knows what they're thinking. That's why it says he perceived their thoughts. So he's not saying, what are you reasoning or what are you thinking about? He's saying, why are you reasoning these things out? 
Why is there doubt in your mind about what I said? Now, that's a, a question, but it's a rhetorical question. It really leads to the important issue. Now, here's the question Jesus asked them that you need to see. Now, in every one of these cases we're going to look at over the next few weeks, in every one of these cases, the question Jesus asked either demanded an answer or it revealed something about God's uh, position where healing is concerned. And I, like I said, I've never put these things together before, and I was fascinated by the things that it identifies. If we only had these eight cases of healing, you'd have a perfect picture of not only God's willingness to heal, but what to do to receive. Perfect picture. So Jesus said, what are you thinking these things for? Verse 23, which is easier? Whether means which. Which is easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, rise up and walk? Now I want you to notice, up to this point in time, the man's not healed. He may be disappointed because he didn't come for forgiveness of sins. I mean, that's okay if healing comes too. But Jesus looks at him being let down through the, the ceiling and says, man, your sins are forgiven you. He's probably thinking, I didn't let my buddies let me down through the roof on, by ropes on this bed for you to forgive my sins. I came because I heard you healed. But it's the sins, the forgiveness of sins, the declaration of forgiveness of sins that gets the religious people nuts. Now, notice the exact opposite today. You can talk about forgiveness of sins all, all day long. And religious people say, yes, amen. You start talking about healing and the religious people fold their arms and say, well, I don't know what he's talking about that for. Yeah, God can heal, but you never know if he's going to. It's not always his will to heal. So Jesus has the same conflict to deal with, only in reverse. Their problem is his declaration of forgiveness of sins. Now, can I ask you a question? Can Jesus forgive sins or could he forgive sins when he was on the earth? Only if he's the sacrifice for mankind. But since he knows what his work is here on the earth, which is to die for the sins of mankind, he knows he can give this man along with anybody and everybody else that believes in him a promissory note on the redemption to come. And that's why he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. So then he says, ask the, the doctors and the Pharisees and all the people that are supposed to know everything, the smart people. He says, which is easier to say, your sins be forgiven thee or to say, rise up and walk, but that you may know. Everybody say that, but that you may know. I want you to notice something, folks. Jesus is proving something. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power upon earth to forgive sins. He said to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy couch and go into thy house. And immediately he rose up before them and took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. He didn't even stay for the rest of the meeting. It's almost like Jesus says, get, out, get away from these religious people. Rise and walk and get away from these religious people. And they were all amazed, verse 26, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. Now, what was strange about this? Jesus is healed before. They know that. That's why they're crammed into the house. What's strange about this? What's strange about this is the point that Jesus is making by asking the question. And that is very simply this. The first question that Jesus asked related to healing in his earthly ministry was, what's the difference in the power to save and the power to heal. If you can believe that Jesus saves. You can believe that Jesus heals. 
In their case, if you can believe that I've got healing power, you can believe that I've got saving power. Now, what would our earth look like if the church believed that? Yet that's the first question Jesus asks. That's the first point he makes. Which is easier to say. Now thinking from a natural standpoint. It's a whole lot easier to say your sins are forgiven. Than to say rise take up your bed and walk. Because everybody can see whether or not you rise and take up your bed and walk. Nobody can see what takes place on the inside. If that satisfies somebody and say oh hallelujah. Great. Looks like you've really done something. But nobody else can tell. Because that's an internal thing, a spiritual thing. That's between you and God. Forgiveness of sins is between you and God. Right? But the point Jesus makes is, it's the same power that heals as the power that saves. And that's where the doctors of the law and the Pharisees, then of that day and this day, divide from the word of God. Let's look at another one. Look at June, uh, June, June chapter 5. The Gospel of June. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and June. John chapter 5. Let's start reading in verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. The word Bethesda, by the way, means house of mercy. In these, under the five porches, lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. Impotent means lame, crippled people. Now notice it says there's a great multitude there. I don't know how, how big a great multitude is, but the five porches indicate that there's a lot of people around there that are sick and, and many of them lame and blind and so forth. And they were waiting for the moving of the water. For, verse 4, an angel went down at a certain season, unknown season, really that's what it means, into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Here's the second question Jesus asked in his earthly ministry about healing. Will you be made whole? Now you know the story. The impotent man answered and said, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. Now, we've talked about this before. Uh, as we mentioned earlier in the service, the majority, the vast majority of people that were healed in Jesus' ministry were healed on their own faith. Now this says two things. Number one, it says that Jesus meaning working as God's agent, Jesus who never changes, if Jesus did this in his earthly ministry, he's still doing it now, is looking for the will on the part of the individual to be made whole. In other words, he's looking, searching for faith on the part of the individual. Now, we know that he doesn't find faith on this man's part because the guy says, I've got a problem. Nobody's here to help me. Other people get in quicker than me. And so that by the time I get in, the first one has already gotten it. And so I'm left out time after time after time. He's probably thinking, who knows whether the angel will come down and trouble the water enough times for everybody else to get theirs first so that then I get something. It's probably looking like a hopeless situation for him. At least I can see why he would see it that way. So Jesus does not find faith on the part of this individual. But that's the first thing that he looks for. 
wilt thou be made whole. Now, it tells me something else about Jesus' ministry, and that is Jesus did not know everything before it happened. If he knew that he was going to minister to this guy, why ask him, will he be made whole? Why not just walk up to him and say, do you know who I am? I'm Jesus that everybody's talking about. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. The fact that Jesus looks for faith first indicates to me that he knows God's sending him there to minister to somebody, but without additional information by the Holy Ghost or revelation by the Holy Ghost, he's assuming that it's the way that it's going to work uh, the normal, uh, the, the majority of the time under normal circumstances, and that is it's going to be triggered by the faith of the individual. Maybe he's expecting the guy to recognize him. He's still early in his ministry, but he's been in ministry for a number of months anyway and done signs and wonders and miracles so that everybody would know, or a lot of people would know anyway. We can speculate about what he thinks and about what he's operating in and why he's operating the way that he is, but one thing that we know for sure, he did not know by revelation that he was going to minister to this guy apart from his faith, the faith of the individual, I mean, because that's the first thing that he looks for. Well, if Jesus looked for faith first and foremost when he was here on the earth, what do you think he's looking for now? And notice how he tries to identify it. He did not say, do you believe? He simply said, will you be made whole? Some translations translate this as, do you want to be healed? Well, why ask that? Who's sick that doesn't want to be healed? Especially somebody that's been in a long time in a bad situation. That's not the question. The question is, will you be made whole? There's a big difference in wanting something and willing it to be. I've always wanted to play the piano, but I will not take lessons. Guess what my chances of playing the piano are? I can want to till I die. But unless I'm willing to pay the price and do what it takes to learn, it's not going to happen. Right? Well, we can say the same thing about people spiritually. A lot of people want the blessings of God in their life, but they're not willing to do what it takes to get them. A lot of people want God's blessing upon their life, but they're not willing to follow his direction to be blessed. A lot of people want to be blessed in their finances, but they're not willing to pay their tithes. We could go on and on and on. There's a big difference in wanting something and willing it to be. And Jesus asked very specifically, Will you be made whole? What if this guy said, yes, Lord, and I'll do anything it takes to get there? That had been very easy for Jesus to say, look on me. But instead, the guy comes up with excuses for why he can't. Yet God's mercy goes even beyond those that think they can't. But for me, the lesson is, To change your will to be healed. Because God's mercy is available to you. You see it? Okay let's look at another one. Turn with me over to uh, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. We'll start reading in verse. uh, Verse 9. And when he was departed thence, he went from into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. 
And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? Now, here's a question being posed to Jesus by the, the Pharisees and the religious people. Uh, and Jesus said unto them, Here's the question he asked them. Have you ever noticed how many times Jesus answered a question with a question? There were some times that they, at one time in, in uh, Mark chapter 12, where they asked him, By what authority do you do these things? And Jesus said, Well, let me ask you a question. You answer my question, and then I'll answer yours. And they wouldn't answer his question, so Jesus left them hanging. Didn't answer him at all. Do you know that you don't owe everybody an answer? The devil wants to draw you into all kinds of things and tie you up with debate. You don't owe anybody anything. Except to love them. Okay. And Jesus said unto them, verse 11, What man shall shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into the pit on the Sabbath day, he will not lay hold on it and lift it out. How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Then he said to the man, stretch forth your hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole like as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. Now, what is the, the point that Jesus is making? Jesus says, who is it among you that has a sheep? One sheep, and if he falls in the pit, won't rescue that sheep. Now he's showing their hypocrisy, because they will do, they will break the law of Moses, which well, not the law of Moses. They'll break the tradition of the elders. It wasn't the law of Moses that you couldn't do anything on the Sabbath day, not like the elders had had uh, dictated and and come up with. But they had so parsed the language and and uh, and and set up rules and regulations and so forth that it would be against the laws of the Pharisees, the laws of the the elders really the tradition of the elders for anybody to do as much work as to lift a sheep out of a pit but everybody was willing to do it to save their property nobody's going to leave that sheep in a pit overnight and take a chance on that that thing dying of uh, a lack of food or water so jesus is bringing out their hypocrisy but more importantly is this there is no religious dictate that can match or compare with god's compassion to heal mankind God's healing mercy, God's healing compassion will go contrary and over, contrary to and overcome every religious dictate to the contrary. And Jesus makes this point more than once. You choose to be bound by your law except when it doesn't uh, suit your own situation. But God won't be bound by any religious dictate or any religious tradition. Wherefore is a man not better than a sheep? In other words, he's saying God's willing to do anything at any time to help mankind. Now, you're starting to get a picture of what Jesus' questions bring out. His willingness to heal and the, the, the importance for man taking a step toward God and believing that God wants them well. You can't meditate on these questions that Jesus asked and come away with the, and, and keep the question in your mind, is it God's will to heal me? Which is the number one hindrance for people receiving from God. Well, I know God can, Pastor Mike. I know God can do anything. He could heal me if he wanted to. I just don't know if he wants to. You can't come away with or keep that notion that you're not sure if God wants to by reading just the simple questions that Jesus asked. Will you be made whole? That's God's question to you. Will you be made whole? Here's another point that Jesus is making. Aren't you better than a sheep? 
God won't let any religious training, any religious background, any doctrine that anybody has, no matter who says healing has been done away with or what God doesn't do now because the apostles are dead or whatever other notion they have. Nothing can stop the healing power of God if you'll accept it. Let's look at another one. Uh, Luke chapter 8. We'll close with this one tonight and then pick up the others next time we're together. Luke chapter 8, you'll recognize this story, but we usually go from Mark chapter 5 on this. Let's start reading with verse, uh, where does it start? Verse 43. And a woman having an issue of blood 12 years has spent all of her living upon physicians, neither could she be healed of any. She came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately the issue of blood, her issue of blood, staunched or stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? Here's the question Jesus asked. Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude thronged thee and pressed thee and sayest thou who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody has touched me for I perceive that virtue, or literally it's the word power, dunamis, power, has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. She she came trembling. And falling down before him, she declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace. Now, what's the point here when Jesus asked the question, Who touched me? I want you to notice it goes from who touched me to somebody touched me. You see that? She may have started off as a nobody, but she finished up as a somebody. Now, what made her a somebody? What made her a somebody is her choice to reach out and take hold of what Jesus had. Notice Jesus does not go through the crowd and get to a certain point and stop and say, now where's that woman? God has shown me. Since I always know what's going to happen before it ever happens. God has shown me somebody coming trying to get to me. Where is she? She's wearing a blue dress. Where is she? No. Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house. If he knows that somebody's about to touch him, he makes no indication whatsoever. So we would have to be reading something into the scripture to say that he knew this was going to happen before it happened. See, folks, I don't know what it does for you, but it helps me to realize Jesus operated on the earth just like I'm supposed to. Because I don't know everything. And if I can only do the works of Jesus like I'm supposed to, by knowing everything, I'm sunk. But if Jesus really did lay aside his heavenly power and glory, that means his omnipotence, his all-knowing faculties, then that means he operated on the earth just like you, taking one step at a time, walking by faith. What kind of faith walk would Jesus have had if he knew everything from the beginning? There's no faith to that. He would have wakened, and instead of a date timer, he would have rolled off and before him in his spirit. He would have seen everything that's going to happen that day. Well, where's the faith there? He wouldn't have been operating like you and I do, would he? Jesus couldn't have known everything from the beginning. He couldn't have had, now I do know that he perceived certain things, certainly. Just like we will perceive certain things. But there's no way he could have known everything. There's no way he could have operated here on the earth in his earthly ministry as we would assume that God would walk on the earth. Because Jesus walked on the earth as a man, not as the Son of God. He was the Son of God, don't get me wrong. He was just as much God as he was man, but he laid aside the God part to come to the earth. So that he could live life 
identified with man, not identified with God. He was operating on the earth to reveal God to man, not to identify with God. And so Jesus asked the question, who touched me? In other words, he's saying, who has chosen to take hold of what I brought? Notice how contrary that is to what so many people in the church world think that Jesus operated in. That he's the one doling it out to everybody. He's the one that's deciding who gets what. That must be what people think because that's so much of what the church world teaches today. Well, whatever's the will of God, just let that be. Well, aren't we ever supposed to know what the will of God is? Sure we are. That's why Jesus came to the earth to reveal the Father to us. Whatever Jesus did was the will of God. If it was the will of God when Jesus was here, it's still the will of God now. Because Jesus never changes and the will of God never changes. So when Jesus asked, who touched me? He's saying, who was it that acted on their own initiation to take hold of the power that God sent me here to deliver? Who touched me? He doesn't know who it is. He just knows that power went out of him. He knows that power went out of him and it went into somebody else. Now again, notice the disciples say, the master, everybody's pressing against you and the the thronging against you. That's a, a King James way of saying everybody's touching you that can. Their notion, they're thinking naturally, they're thinking if we're supposed to find one person that touched you, anybody within arm's length is touching you. They could have grabbed anybody in in the near proximity and said, well, they just touched you. Jesus would have said, no, that's not the one. Well, this one touched you too. No, he's not him either. He's looking for somebody that touched him in a different way. And it wasn't just physical contact. In other words, when he said, who touched me? He's not saying, who made physical contact with me? He's saying, who touched me because they believed something? That's the one that received. Now, I don't know how big this crowd was that's following Jesus to Jairus' house, but whoever the, the multitude is thronging, they, however big a multitude is, in King James English, everybody that's thronging him, pressing up against him, trying to reach out and touch him. Not everybody in the crowd got there, I'm sure. But everybody that could push their way to him was reaching out and touching him and grabbing hold of him for one reason or another. Now, here's a question. Why would everybody be trying to touch him? If you didn't think he had anything, if you hadn't heard about the power of God healing the sick or bringing relief or deliverance to other people, what's the point in touching him? That tells me that there was more than one sick woman in this crowd. Mark chapter 5 said, When she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, or began to say to herself, If I can touch just, but just touch his garment, I shall be whole. Well, why is everybody else in that crowd trying to get to him? Because they've heard some of the same things she's heard. They've heard about his healing power. They've heard about how when people touch him, they receive from God. And so what are they doing? They're trying to take the physical action without believing anything from the inside, from her heart, from their hearts. When Jesus said, who touched me? He's saying, of everybody that's reaching out to make contact with me, one person has touched me in a different way. Now, who was responsible for that? Jesus or the woman? The woman. It goes back to the first question Jesus asked in John chapter 5, or I guess it was the second thing that we looked at, wilt thou be made whole? See, so many people are looking for somebody else to do it for them. We can just find somebody with a special healing anointing, then we'll get healed. Really? What's going to activate that healing anointing? 
Jesus had a special healing anointing, and physical contact didn't uh, alone didn't didn't uh, initiate didn't uh, trigger that with him. Oh, but Pastor Michael, we just find somebody that was anointed enough. I'm pretty sure Jesus was anointed enough. I'm pretty sure he had a greater anointing than anybody we're ever going to run into. And it took faith from the heart and not just physical action to trigger that act, to trigger that anointing to heal her. Jesus said, who touched me? Who touched me? Folks, what I want you to see over and over again is that Jesus identifies reasons why you can and should initiate your own healing by faith. Because once you do, it doesn't matter how big a crowd it doesn't matter how big an obstacle. It doesn't matter how long you've been there. Over and over again, it says that Jesus saw somebody who was in this case for a long time. I don't care how long you've been sick. I don't care how bad the doctor says that it is. I don't care what seems impossible. Nothing is impossible if you will reach out and say, I will be healed because Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sickness. And with his stripes, he obtained my healing. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that your word reveals your will. I thank you, Lord, for the information that the word gives us so that we can act just the same way as these others and receive by faith anything and everything that we need. Lord Jesus said that her faith, this woman with issue of blood, that her faith made her whole. If her faith made her whole, then our faith can make us whole. Thank you, therefore, Father. We say from our heart, not because we see it, not because we feel it, but because your word says... Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes we are healed. We say we will be healed because Jesus bore our sicknesses. We say that healing is ours and we receive it now by the hand of faith. We're not here to contact you physically, Lord, but we are able to contact you from our hearts by reaching out from within, from within our spirits to declare healing is ours. Thank you, Father, that we're healed from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. And that the healing power of God, the very spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, is quickening our body to undo the work that Satan has wrought in our bodies. In Jesus' name. If you can agree with that, say amen.